It's such a privilege to, to stand here, and uh, I was just struck by that this morning as I was preparing. It's such a privilege that you listen and uh, give me your time and attention, and we don't take that lightly. That is, that is a privilege. Um, it's quite humbling. Um, it's also a privilege to carry something that you believe God has to share for us, and um, sometimes that can be a bit daunting, and, and the sort of weeks leading up to knowing you've got a, a slot in a preaching rota um, can be quite daunting. What is it, God, that you, you want to, to share? What is it that uh, you want to say? But uh, thanks for the introduction, and I do feel that um, there is something significant about this season, and uh, I, I do believe I've got something helpful and significant to carry. I just wanted to start, though, by something that struck me. Worship was amazing this morning, and we've got such great, talented musicians and singers, but also a, a great heritage of, of songs that we sing. And there was one um, identity is so key in how we receive much of, of what happens and how we see ourselves can really make the key difference as to whether it, it builds in or whether it bounces off and, and doesn't seem to hit well. And there was a verse in there um, about make me something beautiful. And, and that is misunderstandable because you can see yourself as pretty rubbish and God's got to do a serious makeover to get you anywhere near good-looking or, or nice or wonderful. But the truth is, is that we are wonderful, we are beautiful, we are already gold and treasure. And, and there was um, a quote from the, the sculptor Henry Moore, and someone asked him, because like, these sculptors, they just look at something huge and big and ugly, and then they find something beautiful within it. And, and the, this person asked Henry Moore, how did you find the elephant in that big, big lump. And he said, well, it's easy. I just keep chipping away at what's not elephant until the elephant is all that's left. And that's such a good picture about what God's doing with us. There is something beautiful within us. And all God's doing is he's chipping away at what's not beautiful, what's not his intention for us. And so in, in a preach and a teach something like this, I feel I'm a bit like um, someone had a word for me. I'm a doctor, a GP, um, so I don't do operations, but I did a, a little bit of my training. Um, and and there's this idea of a surgeon sort of cutting away. And everyone thinks of surgeons and scalpels and pain. And uh, I don't think you can get away from that. But there's a technique in, in operations called blunt dissection. And that's where you actually just push between the layers. You don't use the sharp cutting edge. You use something that's a bit more of a, a blunt edge to push between the layers and to separate what's good from what's not good. And that really is much more of a picture of how God works with us. It's not sort of hacking and cutting and throwing away. There's much more of a working along lines of pushing between what should be there and what shouldn't be there. Um, and the other picture that I had this morning, one of the young moms was sharing about her, her last time in labor. I'm sorry for all the medicine if you're feeling a bit squeamish already. Um, but uh, th there was something that the doctor needed to do, and it was clear that this was going to be involving pain. But the midwife just held her close, gave her a hug, and stroked her head. It's going to be all right. And that's much more of a picture of how God deals with us, with tenderness and with care and with holding. And even though something might not be what you choose to do, it might not be what you know, is necessary, sweet and nice and lovely, but there's a goodness at the bottom of all that God does with us. So that was uh, an unprompted, unscripted introduction there. So uh, try and find my notes now. So yes, we've been looking at this season of, um, come on, technology work when I need me to, um, uh, of, of authority. And I'm just hearing God talk about boundaries. And I love the concept of boundaries, but I worry because they're so easily misunderstood. Um, but I do believe that there's something helpful 
as we, we consider authority um, and we look at the boundaries that, that are there. There's such a healthy tool for life. There is such a, a topic in, in politics in the nation at the moment. So we're looking at the boundaries between um, the UK and Europe, between Northern Ireland and Ireland. There's so many different areas where we're looking at issues around the boundary. Um, and if it was just as simple as a line on a map, then, you know, well, there's the line, that's it, end of story. But it's not just a line on a map. It's how do you relate across that boundary? How do you allow travel? How do you allow trade? How do you differentiate taxes? What is the thing between what's one country and what's another country? And a boundary is that challenge, not just of, boom, there's a line, but how do you negotiate? How do you relate across that boundary? And I've talked in the past about boundaries and... Um, so it is one of my life messages, and uh, there's a preach that, um, if you look back, how does your garden grow? And it's this notion of, you know, the old-style gardens where they had big high walls to keep in the heat and allow things to grow up the walls, and, and this idea of protection to have that nurturing place. And there's certainly that idea uh, about boundaries. Um, and, and God talks a lot through the Bible about how we manage ourselves how we choose what we dwell on, whatever is good, pure, noble, whatever is good repute, it says in Philippians 4. Think on these things. There's good things to think about and bad things to think about. And we create a boundary when we choose what we, what we do and, and how we manage our relationships. And be anxious for nothing. Jesus said, be anxious for nothing. Um, that, that just be, what do you do? do you, well, I, if I am anxious, I'm feeling anxious, but you can make a choice about where you allow your mind to dwell. Um, another verse just about taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. There's choices we can make in how we look after ourselves and a boundary we can draw between what we allow our minds to dwell on and, and what we don't. Um, and so um, there's a verse here, Matthew 6:34. I'm going to skip through lots of verses and Gideon's going to do his best to try and Get some of them up for me if you can, but um, just have to listen if you can't get them up. Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's today's cheery thought, isn't it? That we've got trouble enough. But the boundary there is, I'm going to make a choice about where I allow my attention and my focus to dwell. There may be stuff tomorrow, but I'm going to concentrate on what I've got for today. So some good thoughts about protection, about looking after ourselves, and, and that's really sort of just a, a bit about what I'm not going to talk about. Um, because there's a worry I have about thinking of that, that this then becomes about self-protection. And actually we can go from being good stewards of what God's given to us, to actually being a bit defensive, and boundaries can turn very quickly into walls. And then we can find that we're not healthy people living out from that good place, but we're actually quite nervous and frightened people who are living within a high wall and a boundary. Um, and so there's lots of things that... And, and actually, if you take that too far, actually, boundaries can become a charter for selfishness. And we can just find ourselves withdrawing and think, well, no, you know, the people are learning assertiveness, and that can be good. But if your assertiveness just means I've learned to say no... That's living well short of what God's got for us. You know, we're much more than just saying no to things. And it's easy to forget sometimes about identity as I started out, that we are powerful people, we are 
the children of God. Um, and there's so much there when we think about authority. We are all seated in high places. We are seated at the right hand of Christ. We have all rule and authority um, with Jesus. And just having the right sense of identity as we look at subjects like this is so important that it's not little me in my small corner and you over there somewhere else. Um, but we are all children of the Most High God. Okay, and uh, yeah, okay, I'll mention this. I've put down this line here, and it's great, and I wasn't quite sure whether it fitted in, but when we're looking at the subject of authority, we can very much get into hierarchy, and that's really, again, part of our society, that there are big people with lots of authority and little people with no authority, um, and that is not godly. That's not the kingdom of God. Um, we are all seated in high places, um, and we are all children of God. And we all have a calling, and Philippians 3.24 um, is, is a great verse that I... I don't know whether Gideon's used in the New International Version. I read from the ES, uh, English Standard Version, so there might be a few differences of words, but it's the same Holy Spirit that does that. But um, Paul, in this verse, is pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of him. There's this, the context is about striving for perfection. And again, this isn't a, you know, a charter for perfectionism. But it is recognizing that um, in Philippians 1, Jesus has, will do everything to bring us to completion, to the full stature, the maturity of Christ. That's God's commitment to us, that he's going to bring us to perfection. And our job is to keep pressing into the fullness of that. And so there is a that that each one of us has. There's a calling, there's a destiny that we all have. And that's the context that I want to look at, all that we're going to read today. Um, do you mind if we pray? I think we'll just pray and then we'll read some scriptures together. Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. We thank you for the rich, rich treasure that it is. And God, just reading your word, understanding your word, and hearing your heartbeat through it all, God, is such a blessing to us. Would you give me um, an ease in speaking all that you've put on my heart to share and give us all ears to hear so that we hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And God, through it all, you'd strengthen us, enlarge us, and build us up more into the maturity, the full stature of the measure of Christ. Thank you, God. Amen. So, quick definition. A boundary is a line between what's mine and what's not. And that's just a great simple definition that's true whether you're an individual, a family, uh, you know, a city, a nation, or what have you. A, a line between what's mine and what's not. So, I've got three Bible stories and I'm going to read, uh, draw three themes or, or thoughts from those. So the first is in Genesis 1, looking at God and Adam and Eve. So Genesis 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every, every living thing that moves on the earth. So there's a big wow, isn't that? That's uh, quite some commission. Um, sounds some great fun, doesn't it? Be fruitful and multiply. Um, and so they do that. That's the commission there. And um, the next verse I'm going to look at is Genesis 2, verses 15 to 17. And the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat it, you will surely die. So there, if you like, as well as the um, commission, the mandate that God had given Adam, was a boundary. 
something God said, I want you to work this far, but not there. And so a line he put in. So we're going to skip on to Genesis 3.24. So this is after the fall. This is after Adam had stepped over the boundary. He'd done what God had asked him not to do. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree of life. So not only had he made a boundary, he now enforced a boundary. So that's story number one, just to to hold in your mind. Story number two is really the story of the people of Israel. As um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and uh, the family grew, they went into Egypt and then quickly became enslaved in Egypt. um, And God led them out into the wilderness and Moses was leading them. And all through the chapters of the books of Numbers and Deuteronomy, there's so many rules and regulations, so many laws, God was preparing them to come from this place in the wilderness where they'd had everything provided for them. So they just woke up every day, went out, got some manna, came home, cooked it whichever way they could think to cook it. But they were coming into a place where it was a good land, it flowed with milk and honey, lots of good things there, but they had to work, they had to look after it, they had to produce fruit from it. So there's a change in the chapter, and the books leading up to that were giving all of these, you could see those rules and regulations, or you could see them as guidelines and, you know, proper ways of looking after the blessing that God was bringing them into. And one of these was the allocation of the land. And there's so many verses and chapters and, you know, if you're not really into that, you can think, why are we going on about the the boundary of this and the river of that and the sea and the border and this tribe and that tribe? And it doesn't mean as much to us because that's not our immediate heritage. But what impressed me is how much detail God gave to all of these boundaries. There's a lot of emphasis there that God gave to these boundaries. So know that Moses was leading them through this time in the wilderness and God had said he was not going to go into the promised land. That was going to be Joshua who'd take them into the promised land. So the last few few chapters of Deuteronomy, that's Moses doing the big summary speech, the big sort of farewell to my people. This is all that I've done. I've sowed all of my life into you. And these are the summary chapters where he's bringing out the most important things. So we're going to pick up just a few verses in Deuteronomy 27. Uh, And I'm going to read 9 and 10 and then 17, but you can look at the whole chunk. So Deuteronomy 27 verse 9, Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to Israel, Be silent, Israel, and listen. Big stuff. This is important. You've now become the people of the Lord your God. Obey the Lord your God and follow his commands and decrees that I will give you today. So listen up, guys. This is really important. The next few verses talk about Don't make an idol, very important, number one. Honor your parents, the curse about dishonoring parents, important, number two. And then what really surprised me was that number three, verse 17, is cursed is anyone who moves their neighbor's boundary stone. So really so much importance that God placed on respecting one another, respecting the thing that God had given you and the thing that God had given someone else, really an emphasis on boundaries. So we're going to skip ahead to Ezekiel, and in Ezekiel 33, we have the story of the watchman on the wall. And this is a great story. There's so much in there. I find it quite scary, because God says, you know, some some harsh words in one, one way of reading it. But the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, 
If I bring a sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming to land and blows the trumpet, warns the people, then if anyone hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, the sword comes, takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take the warning. His blood shall be on himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in their own iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I've made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you will surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that person will die in their iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. So three different stories, and all picking out verses, looking at the context of of boundaries, and uh, just thought, what are the themes that we can draw from this? So I've got three themes, and the first really struck me is about responsibility. So when we think of boundaries, we often think about possession. We think, well, this is mine. And when we think about mine, it knows what have I got? But God thinks much more about responsibility that God has given us, but he's given us with a purpose. So when you think back to Adam and Eve, they were given the whole earth, but their responsibility was to fill it, to multiply, to subdue it and rule. Um, When you think about the people of Israel, they were given land, but it was theirs to make good from, make good produce from, so they could support themselves, but also to, to protect. And God had clear expectations of where the lines of responsibility lie. So when we think about God giving us something, it's not about what you have, it's what you do with what you have. And even when we think about the, um, the land that the people of Israel got, they had such a clear idea of using land for a season, using it for a purpose. And particularly helpful for them was the law of Jubilee. So each tribe had an allocation, and it was your land, you could buy and sell, you could do that, but they knew that when it came to the year of Jubilee, everything would go back to the original family that owned it. So you couldn't, one you know, family or clan couldn't get bigger and bigger over time. That it would always revert back. So they had this expectation that when you bought land, You bought it knowing how many years there were to Jubilee. So if it was just soon after, then you'd get 40-odd years of of being able to use the land. It was worth a lot to you. If when you bought a piece of land, you only had a few years to go, you weren't going to pay as much because you weren't going to get much use. So they had a great sense of using what they had um, and and their responsibility for that. And we have a high value for legacy. We have a high value for what are we doing with what we've got, but not just in how am I using it, but also in how am I passing it on. And really one of the things we want to grow amongst us is this notion that we are responsible partly to look after what we've been given well, but also are we putting it in the best condition to pass on to the next generation. So I started with whatever I started with, and my job is to make the best of it, but always in my mind is how can I pass on what I've been given in a way that helps someone else then run their journey better. And this, this idea of legacy was so key in the people of Israel and it's so much a part of what we value and what we want to promote that everything we do is not just meeting my needs 
but it's meeting my needs and those around me, but it's also with a sense of how can I pass on what I've been given. And when we think about material things, we can think about possession, we can think about you know, homes and income and you know, stuff that you've got. Um, but it's also about gifts and talents. And when we think about what's mine, it's not just what I have in a material sense, it's what how do I have in terms of gifts and talents. And the parables of the talents are really quite useful. When Jesus talked about the landowner who gave, gave um, talents um, to his servants, they weren't rewarded by what they'd got. They were rewarded by what they did with what they'd got. And that really is how God views this, that each of us has different numbers of gifts, different you know, material things or what have you. What you have is not the measure that you'll be rewarded on. It's what you do with what you have. So this notion of responsibility for what you've been given is, is very much embedded all the way through Scripture. And particularly that, that poor old watchman, he had quite a responsibility, didn't he? You know, the whole city, anyone dies, I'm coming for you, boy. And, you know, just imagine you're there, a watchman, that sounds fine if, you know, 20 minutes before the battle, you're there up on the watchtower, you see it, you blow the... Days and weeks and months can go by, and you've got to keep watching. That's quite a challenge. You imagine being on top of a wall somewhere, you know, and you, you could be a good-hearted person. You could sort of keep your bit of wall clean. You could sort of, bit of filling in and repairing. You could do stuff that might be useful, but is that your job? And you can do stuff as long as it doesn't detract from your job. But he was responsible to be fulfilled and, and actually meet all that he'd been called to do. So he could have had an immaculately kept piece of wall, but if he didn't do his job as a watchman, he would still be accountable. And so all of these areas that we're responsible for what we've been given, and that is both in terms of material things, gifts and callings, but also calling as in what has God called us to do. So theme number one is responsibility. You can't really think about responsibility without thinking about authority. So this is my second theme. That these two must go hand in hand. We must talk about responsibility with authority. So any landowner has you know, the responsibility to look after it, but they have the authority to say what can come in and what can't come in, what happens and what doesn't happen, how well you look after what is allowed into the land to benefit it, and what do you keep out of the land because it's going to damage it. And, and for our lives, we have to make those similar decisions about how we look after our bodies, what do we allow in terms of what we eat, what we drink, um, how we look after our bodies in terms of exercise and sleep and the ways we look after that. Our minds, as we talked before about be anxious for nothing, what do we allow in terms of thoughts that come in? Do we allow negative thoughts to be the dominant theme? Um, there was a, a picture that I heard as a young Christian uh, which has helped me through the years of seeing your mind as, as an airfield and different thoughts may want to come in and land on your airfield. And just because a thought comes in doesn't mean to say you've sinned. You know, it can be a random thought, it can come towards you, but you have a choice as to what you allow to land in the airstrip of your mind. And you can say, yes, permission to land in your control tower there, or no, clear off, I'm not going to dwell on that thing. So we, we are responsible and we have the authority uh, over our, our minds and our emotions. Uh, it's also important that we do make these choices about what we allow ourselves to dwell on. So authority is that power to make decisions, it is that power to make choices. And we all make choices. Some of us don't feel very powerful, some of us don't feel like we, we can make much choice. But even the decision not to decide is still a choice. You can put off 
making a decision. That is actually a decision. And, and we, we sort of say, oh, I can't do this. It, I, I promise myself I'm going to get stirred up. I hate the word I can't almost as much as the words I should. Um, so both of those, the reason I, I sort of get stirred up about them is that we trip out these things so easily. And I can't, you might not find it easy, you might have never done it before, it might feel beyond what you've been able to do thus far. But I can't is such an end. I can't is such a, I will never ever. And it's such a lie, and really we've got to learn better language that I think I need some help here, I'm struggling with this, are all better words that give a hope and a potential, whereas I can't is just end up, well, I can't do that, end of story, and, and there's no going forward. So I can't is something that we can put on ourselves that brings a negative to you know, moving into what God wants for us. I should also is another phrase that if you hear yourself saying I should, you've got to start a warning, um, because that often means there's a pressure coming from somewhere else. I should be doing this. And it's either other people's expectations, real or imagined, something that you believe is, is a, a rule or a thing. But if you hear yourself saying, I can't, or, I say, or saying, I, I should, then give yourself a slap and uh, ask God to help you. It's not powerful behavior. So authority, um, we all have authority. And if you don't feel that, then get alongside someone, read scripture, spend time with Holy Spirit, and, and learn much more about how he's made us to be as children of God. But always with the notion of authority is resource. And so being given land, uh, you know, it's a great picture, isn't it, of um, a resource, you use the land to feed yourself. So the people of Israel, when they moved into the promised land, they got, you know, they had manna for a bit, and then there was fruit in the land, but God kept them, you know, with enough until the third year and then they had to live off what they produced themselves but we have um, we have the resource that we need there's a great verse that's worth being one of those memory verses 2 Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3 his divine power has granted to us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence and this sort of sums up this verse the calling that God has given us comes with everything that we need through the power of heaven and so we do have what it takes to meet a situation in a godly way okay so themes of excuse me can't put that on a metal thing apparently um i'll have to do it anyway gonna dry up if i don't have a drink so themes of responsibility and authority but perhaps the most important when we're thinking about all that God's taking us through in this season is the theme of community. That we are not alone. Um, come back to me. Um, when God commissioned Adam and Eve, he said multiply. Um, they were never going to fill the whole earth just as the two of them, no matter how fast they ran or whatever. And so implicit there was this notion that they were going to do this in, in community. Um, when God commissioned, when God sent the people of Israel into the promised land, they, they were a nation together. God has called us as a people. Um, and even when we think about the, the tribes and the allocations, and I was saying about the many verses that said that, 
It went to the level of the whole nation, went into the promised land, and that was allocated by tribe. But each tribe had clans, and each clan had families. And there's an allocation right down to the detail of what each family would have. But each family understood that they were within a clan, and that clan was within a tribe, and the tribe was within a nation. And this is so important that we get this right, that when we think about boundaries, if we think about individual, then that becomes about self-protection, that comes about me and my needs. But boundaries must be seen in the context of community. That's where I have a responsibility for what's mine, but it's not at the exclusion of others, it's for the benefit of others. And also this notion of walls, a boundary is something porous that you can see across a boundary. You can see what's happening in your neighbor's fields and you can go across and meet, if, meet the need if that's, necess- if that's necessary. And so we've got to see ourselves as part of a community to really get the full measure of what God means by healthy boundaries. And although we're not an agricultural community, and when we read the Bible, so many of the things are about fields and lands and sheep and cattle and what have you. And, you know, I grew up in the countryside, so it helps me a little bit, but I was not the farmer's son. Um, It was the farm next door, and I got to learn a little bit by just watching over my field, my fence. Um, But, you know, that doesn't really help us very easily. We've really got to use our imagination to get into what it was like to be an agricultural community to see what these stories are actually telling us. There's lots in that, the stories through the Bible about, about fields and how people manage their fields that is a much healthier way of viewing boundaries than we do. If we think of boundaries as self-protection, we actually quite like a big border. We actually like a bit of distance that helps us feel safe. You know, so this is the boundary, and I'm actually going to step back. We have this no-man zone where no one goes, and that, that sort of keeps a bit more of a safe distance, and that's the idea of protection. But if you're a landowner, you want to get right up to the end of your land. You want to plant as much crops as you can. You want to make the full use of that. If you've got cattle, you're not going to keep, you know, 20 feet at the edge of your field where they can't graze. You want them grazing right up to the edge there. So the idea of, you know, a boundary in agricultural terms is you make the full use of what's yours right up to the edge of your boundary. You're pushing right up to the edge of that. Clear and implicit is the respect for your neighbor's boundary, but you get right up to what's the edge of yours to do and and yours to be responsible for. Because the other side of not using the full allocation that you've been given is that then no one's looking after it. So that bit of land then starts to get not just weeds and thorns and briars, but bushes and trees and wild animals. And danger can start to lurk in at the boundary of a property and you can become unaware of it until suddenly your little lambs are getting eaten by wolves because they are allowed to lurk in this area that no one was looking after. And so just this looking and thinking about boundaries in this agricultural sense helps us have a fuller picture of looking after things, not just getting produce from it, but maintaining it well. So we keep these boundaries well and we look after things. This is another part of what a landowner's authority was for, was for that sense of protection and what you allow in and what you don't allow in. And as a community, I've got to look after my bit, not as I say, as a protection from everyone else, but this because each of us has a part to play. Each of us has a portion and an allocation that we're responsible for. And as each of us looks after our bit well, then together the whole environment flourishes. As each of us makes sure that the boundaries are protected, then the whole place becomes secure And we need well-protected boundaries to allow freedom to flourish, a place where love is is the norm and and fear is, is banished very, very evidently.
And it can be so important to look at are the boundaries being maintained? Not in a critical way, you know, and you can sort of be judgmental in, in, in viewing this, but that's not our heart at all. It's much more in making sure that boundaries are being maintained for everyone's benefit, that I am part of a community. And what do you do if you see that something isn't being looked after? And you see an area in church life, see an area in your community that isn't being looked after well. Is it obvious whose job that was? And sometimes it is, and you've just got this choice then as to what do you do. If someone's responsible for an area but they're not looking after it very well, do you just sort of, not my job, and you just stand there with a, a critical spirit? Or do you barge in, clearly you don't know what you're doing, let me take over. Well, clearly neither of those are, are good responses. But you can ask a good question. A good neighbor will ask, is everything okay? Have you noticed that your fence is broken down? Have you noticed that this area is growing weeds? Do you need some help? And so a good neighbor will have that awareness of someone else's boundary and not be frightened of going and asking questions, but not being pushy and, and taking over. What do you do when you don't think anyone's taking responsibility for an area? And the other thing that really struck me is, as you read through the chapters of the people of Israel moving into the promised land is God gave them an allocation, but it wasn't the whole nation. They, sorry, the, the whole of the people of Israel did, but the land was bigger than they could originally maintain, and they had to grow and push and develop, and there was some uncharted terror. So always this notion of pushing into new land as they grew in ability to look after what they'd got. And the same is true for us, that as we grow, as we develop, as we grow more in the calling that God's given us, there will be areas where actually we'd not thought of that before, or we didn't realize we needed to do that before. Um, and so we've always got this mind to look out for, just because something isn't done doesn't mean it's, there's a criticism or a blame, but it does mean to say we don't leave it and ignore it, that we, we work together to find out who has got a, a heart and a gift to carry this. Are we all together to take a part in, in being responsible for that? So walking away just being a job's worth saying, well, it's not my job. No, that is not kingdom behavior. It's always good to ask questions. And sometimes when you see a problem, you just have to step into the breach. You know, if, if something's happened and it's not obvious who's there with some authority to look after it, you just have to do that. And that, again, is just being a good neighbor. You know, if sheep are escaping through a field, then you just do what you can you know, in your best way to try and herd them back in get on the phone to tell the farmer there's, there's a hole in it. In but you don't just leave them you know, to, to, to get run over or what have you. Um, stepping into the breach is good in an emergency. It's just not good if that becomes your habit. You then become everyone's rescuer. That's not. We all have a collective responsibility for what we allow into our environment. And as I say, just using communication, asking good questions, but being willing in the moment if that's necessary. Because it really struck me um, when God asked Cain, um, sorry, when Cain said to God in reply to God's, you know, question, am I my brother's keeper? Um, I was going to reread that verse really, but I didn't read it just to make sure I was wholly accurate in saying this. But I don't remember God giving him an answer. You know, are you your brother's keeper is a question that floats out there. And keeper can have this notion of you say what comes and what doesn't come and you can we are not responsible for one another in terms of making sure that you do everything that you're supposed to do. Each of us has our own responsibility ourselves. 
but I am my brother's keeper and if I see my brother in sin, it's my job to come and, and talk to him and, and to remind him of that, that we are our brother's keeper, that where someone's you know, in need, that we come to step forward and see can we help to meet that need. And th this notion of being our brother's keeper is not taking responsibility for them and then they become sort of weak and powerless and we become overburdened. But as a community, if one of us suffers, then all of us suffer. So we all have a part to play in looking after one another. So just winding this up, I really believe that boundaries are helpful tools and can bring clarity and that respecting one another's boundaries really is one of those tools of being a community where we honor one another, that we value what another one has. Um, and so boundaries can bring res help us respect one another. Boundaries are for protection and one of the keys of authority, and that's both leadership authority but all of our individual authority, is that we protect our environment and we say what's allowed in here and what's not allowed in here. What attitudes do we allow? What behaviours do we allow? What good fruits do we want to nurture and encourage? And what bad fruit do we want to say that is not okay in here? And we want this so that freedom and love can flourish in a safe environment. But emphasising that boundaries are not just for protection, that boundaries are not walls. Um, you can't see through a wall, but you can see across the boundary. Um, and that we can step over and help when necessary. And this bigger idea of calling, this lens that we're looking through, that we all have such a responsibility for what it is, but do you know what it is that God's called you to? Do you see yourself as God sees you? Is it just little me in my small corner? Or do you see yourself as a child of the Most High God with a, uh, an immense calling before you and all of us? you know, have a much bigger calling than any of us are really aware of. And so really, my call in thinking about boundaries is don't think small, we've got to push to the edge. You know, we can push a lot, lot further in what God's got for us than any of us experienced so far. And, and I would love, to love us as a people to be those who push rather than those who hang back and fear. You know, we've got to be pushing to find the limit of what it is. And, and you know, there are times when you get drawn into things and it just becomes a struggle and a strain. Now, that might mean that that's not your gift and calling, or it might just mean you need to look after yourself a bit better. So even that doesn't mean to say that's the limit of all that God's got for you. But I think, you know, plowing to the edge of the field, pushing right to the edge of all that you can is, is a good and a healthy way. And as long as we're doing that in community, then that will keep us safe. Because um, I really believe that boundaries can only be understood well if we view them from a context of community. We really don't want busybodies, people who are just pushy and getting into other people's stuff without any sort of honour and value. But we don't want hermits either, people who just withdraw and, and hide away. There you go. Okay, I think that's all I want to say. It's just such a heart, and you know, I really struggle to know how to end this because I just felt I could go on and on forever. But uh, can I pray for us? God, we are just thrilled to be your children. Will you show us more and more what that means to be a son of the Most High God, a daughter of the Most High God? And as we dream, as we think, and as we spend time with you, God, will you grow our understanding of all that it is that you have for us to do, all that it is that you've called us both as individuals and also as a community. God, that we have a much higher opinion of ourselves 
than we've previously had. God, would you grow our understanding of how to work well with one another? And when I think of what's mine and what's not mine, that's not holding back out of fear, but that's living well with one another out of respect for one another, out of love and value for one another. And God, as we think about authority, that we take the full measure of the authority that you've given us as individuals and we respect the authority of those around us. Thank you, God. Amen. I just want to invite you to just ask Holy Spirit to draw close as you hold what it is that he's impressed upon you. I feel Father God really wants to encourage each one with this word that you were never meant to be a sapling, that actually there is a calling of great oak on you. If you feel that in any way that you have held back because of words spoken of bad experiences that have caused you to step away from plowing to the edge of your boundary, I'd like to invite you. You can stand, you can sit, there's no compulsion, but do whatever it is that is a prophetic act. Father, we want to say sorry for partnering with any sense of fear, of any sense of limitation, of any sense of self-protection in the understanding that you, Father God, are not big enough to look after us. So we just want to agree with you in this calling for us to grow from saplings to great oaks. And Father, we come to you as your children, knowing that we are loved, we are accepted. Father, that you have all the resources of heaven to nourish us, to provide us with wisdom and strategies. Father, with a grace to walk every day. Father, we invite you to breathe again into our calling, into our sense of knowing who we are and whose you are. Father, we ask that you would pour into us and allow us to plow right up to the edge of what it is that you have given us. Father, we just want to stand in your presence and say, Father, we are here. And once again, we respond with a yes. We respond to a yes to you for us personally, for our friendships, for our marriages, for our communities, for our life groups, for our ministry areas, for where it is that you've planted us in a professional capacity. Father, we want to say yes to you and we invite you to come and breathe life. Father, would you speak to us from your word? Father, would you empower us to receive love and encouragement from one another? Father, would you teach us what it is again to breathe life and hope and strength by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.